welcome to PCOM Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Jay Feldstein, and today we're talking with Dr. Eric Poen, Assistant Professor in the Department of Internal Medicine, PCOM Transitional Year Program Director, and core faculty for PCOM Internal Medicine Residency. Dr. Poen works as a hospitalist at Roxborough Memorial Hospital, providing daily rounds on a busy teaching service, as well as proctoring daily morning report. Dr. Poen also provides outpatient care and specialty care at PCOM, focusing on aggressive primary and preventive care. Welcome, Dr. Poen. With healthcare workers on the front lines of the fight against COVID-19, what has that experience been like for you and the internal medicine residents? It's definitely been a sobering experience. Um, been an emotional kind of six weeks. We're kind of learning every day. Um, it's basically unprecedented, not my training and their training as well. Um, when we're thinking about the emotions, it's uh, this is one of the few times I've been driving to work when this first started and I was really actually a little fearful about going to work, you know. Um, it's weird how it's also exciting since it's something brand new. We're learning. We're front lines. It's kind of what we got into medicine for to all the training at PCOM and through PCOM internal medicine when I went there. Um, just getting ready for this. You got the adrenaline of the moment. You got the fear of coming home at this point. So my wife and I are both physicians. Uh, she works at a healthcare uh, center in uh, South Jersey. So we can't really get away from it. One of the things was um, the conversations of how to keep your kids safe. I've had conversations where people, you know, they got the hotel room and went away for four or five weeks. And then now it's four, five, six, seven weeks. I, I've lost track. It's just a day. Um, so we made that decision early on to, to can't have the kids without any family at home. So we have to have that strategy, how to maintain, um, you know, sterility at home and things of that nature and knock on wood. It's working so far. Um, I think from uh, talking with the residents, the other thing is training in medicine. We're always talking about evidence-based medicine. You know, um, we base our treatment options for diabetes, hypertension, heart attacks, strokes, all that based off what the evidence shows, these double bind placebo studies. And we don't have that with COVID. And it's when I'm doing the hospital shift, it can be one week we were doing certain things. I come back seven days later and those things are now archaic and we're on to the next kind of theory of how to treat this. So we're just trying to keep up with every medical society that's out there, um, keeping everybody, you know, morale up. Um, I, I think it's been really nice to see how everyone's come together in this situation. Uh, we were always a close knit family of PCOM with the residents and everything like that, but everyone's kind of really stepped up to the plate and we're doing our best to help out our patients. You know, there's a tremendous amount of information out there for the public, you know, you know, a multitude of experts on every different news station and every different media outlet. But but you're there on the ground. You know, so so what are you seeing, you know, that you would like to share with the public that maybe they're not getting, you know, th through the media outlets? I think the biggest thing is just to kind of reinforce that the idea of hearing that flattening the curve definitely the efforts that everyone has taken, the sacrifices, the stay-at-home orders have seen to really benefit. Uh, early April was kind of when Philly started seeing their surge, and that's when, when we at Roxborough, we kind of saw a big uptick in cases. Uh, we're a small community hospital, so um, our ICU was, you know, much more busy than I've ever seen it. 
And I think over the last month, we've kind of seen that although the cases are steady, now it's more manageable. Um, we have the capability to kind of keep up with the influx of patients. Um, again, we're learning every day as well with this. So um, I think the biggest thing is just to applaud everybody. And, you know, again, the sacrifices, we all want life to get back to normal, but, you know, washing your hands, staying six feet away from each other, minimizing your social interactions has really, really helped. And um, you might not see it when you're looking at a hospital from outside the building, um, but inside there's, you know, a, a controlled chaos a lot of times. And um, just keep kind of doing that, doing the best that we can do at this point. So keep washing those hands, keep, you know, social distancing. Uh, you know, my mom's come up to help a little bit. Um, I can't, I don't even hug my mom. So we're social distancing just from that standpoint. So, um, which was tough on Mother's Day being yesterday. So, um, so keep those uh, great efforts up. It's really making a difference. And eventually if we go slow and kind of slowly start to reopen things, I think we'll be able to continue to manage this and hopefully not take two steps back if we could try pushing too fast. And, and for physicians who are not on the front lines treating coronavirus patients as yourself, you know, what would you like you know, to tell them in terms, you know, about this virus and its spread? I think the biggest thing is now, as we're, again, learning more with this, um, the idea of that asymptomatic carrier trying to figure out now the kind of timing of that. How many days is it that there's when they from onset of inoculation to, you know, do they start shedding the virus? So as we're learning that, um, I think the big thing that's frustrating from our standpoint is also not understanding how it's going to the virus is going to affect an individual. So you can have people basically the same age with the same comorbidities and somebody has a very mild case of it and somebody has ICU level case of it. So um, understanding that we're still trying to figure out the, those patients and get that algorithm kind of fine tuned to help alleviate any concerns with it, um, patients and how we're going to. Kind of again, get back to that normal. Who, when do we start screening people and things of that nature? So I think from the data that I've been reading about some of the um, antibody testing and looking for IgG and IgM, that's not a perfect science at this point yet either. I've had some patients call the office regarding it. We have a conversation that, you know, it's not a, it's from my understanding of it right now, reading from what I've seen, it's not a hundred percent obviously um, perfect that test. Um, it's not. Um, it might be picking up other coronaviruses. So before COVID-19, there was other coronaviruses that were still in our community and things of that nature. So is it really sensitive for that actual virus? Um, I think the other thing is just for my colleagues, you know, as we start opening up practices again and getting ready to see people in, again, that face-to-face. -face. So I know a lot of practices have kind of converted to telemedicine, which, um, including myself and my, our practice, which I do miss that interaction with people. I miss, you know, actually, you know, laying of hands, a very DO thing, you know, touching a person, listening to with a stethoscope, having that human interaction. Um, as we get back into that, if somebody's symptomatic, one of the things we're still going to have to make sure that in our outpatients, we have the, the PPE still available until we have a much either a vaccine or some sort of definitive treatment for this. Um, I think the big thing that to remember with PPE personally and some things that I kind of harp on the residents as well. Um, it's really easy to put on your PPE and protect yourself 
you don't want to contaminate yourself when you're taking off the PPE as well. So you kind of get used to practicing how going through the, you know, how you're going to put on your PPE and then take off your PPE. Um, so you don't self-contaminate taking yourself off. That would be a big thing to think about. So stay up to date with the data. I mean, this is something where you have to read every day. Um, if you go to the NIH or the CDC website, they basically have a daily update when you're looking at um, different reports, uh, different recommendations, um, you know, just seeing how the trends are, which states are kind of uh, the new hot zone or, or who seems to be coming back down to normal. So do you have any questions for me? I do, actually. So one question I have is the impact of the pandemic has been felt by people across the globe. But in here, particularly here in the United States, I see that the training PCOM has provided to our future health practitioners uh, changing because of this event. Well, you know, in the short term, obviously, like everyone else, it has forced us to go to a virtual environment. You know, uh, from an educational standpoint, from a work standpoint, so it's affected faculty, staff, and, and students. And, you know, as a result of that, you know, we may end up when we get back to normal, there's a new normal. So we may exist in a hybrid environment. Again, in the short term, it's had a tremendous impact on the third and fourth year students from a clinical perspective, because a lot of hospitals now are not allowing medical students back in. And hopefully that uh, will cease soon. You know, in the early days, it was because there wasn't enough personal protective equipment and also for the safety of students. So hopefully, you know, that will evolve into going back into a clinical environment. But th the world's changed. You know, the hospitals are under tremendous financial strain. We don't know how many hospitals will come out of this and survive. And it may truly impact clinical education. We may end up with a hybrid of clinical education that's both virtual and hands-on from an experiential standpoint. So I, I think that's, you know, those are the two biggest impacts that we're feeling right now. I do miss those students personally as well, seeing them around. So can't wait to have them back eventually. So uh, another question for you. What are some things that PCOM community can do to support and keep each other safe during this uh, time? Well, I think the, the most important thing is for each of us to be safe. And if we all take the individual responsibility that you spoke about earlier, that we wash our hands, that we practice social distancing, that we wear our masks, we'll keep our community safe. I mean, the changes we've made since day one and will always continue to be our priority are keeping our staff, students, faculty, and employees safe and healthy. And whatever, we, that's primary, that's first. So, you know, you see some states, some areas opening up potentially prematurely, we're not going to do that. You know, we're going to follow the CDC guidelines. We're going to follow the state guidelines. You know, we're supporting each other virtually, online chats, groups, whatever we can do to keep the morale up. And as you said, eventually we'll get back to normal. It may be a new normal, but we'll do what we need to do. You know, we're trying to figure out how we're going to open now and things that you take for granted, like, well, how many people will you put in elevator? And what will be the traffic flow in the buildings? If you go to a supermarket now, many of them have one-way flows. So you don't get a lot of social density. So we have to take all those things into consideration. You know, staggering the return of the workplace, changing workplace hours so we can 
you know, have good social distancing for staff, faculty, and students. You worked in the ER for several years, and obviously you understand the unpredictable nature of this work. So how do you see the global health crisis impacting patient care in emergent environments, and what, how do you think that might change moving forward? Well, you know, from a couple of aspects, I think the first, and you touched on it, you know, is uh, telemedicine has reached the tipping point. You know, telemedicine is here to stay, and it will become part of the delivery system in some capacity. Obviously, as things, you know, kind of drift back to the mean, you know, you'll have patients that'll come in for inpatient visits, but you'll also have telemedicine, and it'll be there for pandemics or, or emergencies of any type, whether it be a natural disaster, a man-made disaster, whatever it may be, will be more uh, dependent on telemedicine. That'll have to be part of training for all healthcare providers, whether it's physicians, physician's assistant, nurse, whatever. So that's the first thing. The second thing is hospitals are going to have to be prepared. The hospitals are going to have to stockpile personal, you know, protective equipment. The disaster scenario plans that they would do as desktop exercises, they're going to have to be more real. They're going to be have to practice, and we're going to have to invest in a public health infrastructure to support hospitals and providers. I think you'll see changes in practice. You know, the pediatricians have been ahead of the game for years. They've had the sick waiting room and the well waiting room. And I, and I think a lot of primary care offices are going to have to adopt that model. And there'll be a lot more phone triaging and potential telemedicine, you know, before patients come to the office. So we're going to have to be prepared. You know, these things come once every hundred years. I hope they continue to come once every hundred years. You know, I don't think we need a new pandemic five years from now, but it could happen. Um, so we just have to be ready for it and we just have to continue to be flexible and adaptable both as uh, an institution as a society a country and a world well dr paul and i thank you for joining us today as the world learns to navigate this unprecedented public health crisis physicians and medical practitioners of all specialties will continue to be critical voices for fact-based information for the general public the professionals of pcom like dr Pollen and others are doing the important work of preparing our students for this ever-changing landscape. To listen to past episodes of this podcast and become a subscriber, visit our SoundCloud page or find us on iTunes by searching Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. I'm Jay Feldstein, and this has been PCOM Perspectives. Yeah.